We are recording another episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP. Very excited to talk about the battle, the trademark battle between Panda Express and Panda Libre. And, um, uh, well, there's a trademark infringement question here, and uh, that is how do you actually analyze trademark infringement? And um, so... Let's talk to the IP expert uh, on the on the uh, podcast t- uh, today, Tom Colson. What? Yeah, but what Ray, do you deal with this story. As every day passes, you start to gain on me with respect to your IP knowledge. Before long, there will be two IP experts, and then soon I'll be student and you'll be master. So um, anyway, yeah, there, there actually is a lawsuit. I just read about it 15 minutes ago. It's between uh, the Panda Express company, which is owned by the uh, Panda Express, uh, a parent company is Panda Restaurant Group. And they are suing a company called Panda Libra, and that is owned by Paul and Nicole Fan, and they are in California as well. So the big issue is this, Panda Express is Panda Express, right? They have their... Chinese food. And uh, have you ever had Panda Express, Ray? You know, I, I actually haven't had it, but I'm really hungry right now. So I might Google yeah, it one and I, see if one open. I know. I've never had it either, but I probably will before the weekend's out. So anyway, they are pretty upset because of Paul and Nicole trying to name their restaurant Panda Libra, and they have Asian Mexican. So the question is, So they sued them, right? They actually sued them for trademark infringement. So the question is, what's going to happen? And I read a quote. I'm going to read it here because I think it's interesting. Nicole Fan says, you know, if we have to stop, it would be like starting a new company. That alone, there is hundreds of thousands of dollars in this restaurant. Going through this whole ordeal, the lawsuit will bankrupt us, okay? So this is a big deal to them, right? I mean, this is obviously a small company and they're being sued by a big company. I assume Panda Express is big. I mean, we've heard of them. So they're certainly bigger than Panda Libra by a lot. So the question is, you know, what is going to happen here? And I thought it would be worthwhile just to go through what the court does or what they tell the jury to do in the event that you're analyzing a trademark infringement action. And there's a bunch of factors, right? The big thing, though, is likelihood of confusion in the marketplace, right? Because here's the problem. You spend a fortune on your trademark. Let's say there were no trademark laws, right? And Panda Express comes out with a restaurant. They spend a fortune on their their brand and brand development and high-quality products. And then Ray comes out 20 years later and starts his own Panda Express restaurant. There's two basic problems, right? One is you're going to be getting profits for stuff that Panda Express, the real Panda Express, paid for, right? Right. They built the brand. Someone drives down the street. Oh, great. There's a Panda Express in town. Little do they know it's Ray back there. And I'm making spaghetti and meatballs. That's right. That's right. So, by the way, that's number two. So, number one is it's a uh, you're getting revenues that you shouldn't get. You're trading on their name. But number two is your spaghetti and meatball situation. Let's say you're not making spaghetti and meatballs. You're making low-end Chinese food, okay? So now I drive down the road and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to Panda Express and Ray's back there 
slinging up his Chinese food and it tastes bad. Am I ever going to go into another Panda Express? Absolutely not. You know, because of you, Ray, it's all because of you. But enter trademark laws. Trademark laws are in place to prevent those kinds of things from happening. Prevent people from trading on someone else's good name and number one, making profits where they didn't invest to get those profits. In fact, they're instead riding off the back of someone else. And two, destroying the, the quality, right? A brand is about quality. When you see a, a sign and you see the golden arches for McDonald's, you know what you're getting when you walk in there. And I mean, I love the Big Mac. If you tried knocking that off, Ray, and made an inferior Big Mac, I'd probably never go back to McDonald's. But I've tried to make a Big Mac, but I can't. No, I, I know. Who can? Who can? So anyway, it's all about likelihood of confusion. But the question is, how does a court assess likelihood of confusion, right? So there's actually like eight factors that they look at. And I'm just going to bounce through them quickly. But a few of the ones at the end, I'm not going to pay a lot of attention to because I don't want to bore people. The ones at the beginning are the, are the biggest ones, right? And the number one thing that they look at is something called, uh, am I echoing? I hear it. I hear myself. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I think it's better now. Okay. So anyway, the number one thing that they look at is, or the first thing they look at is the strength of the mark. Okay. And when they say strength, they mean the inherent distinctiveness. Because if there's, if there's, our, uh, if there's two services or products in the marketplace and they have similar marks and it's a very distinctive word, <clears throat> it's going to be easier to prove infringement because how else did you get that name? Right? So let's say that I open up a, uh, a dessert deli and I call it, uh, I make it some made up name. It doesn't even exist. I call it Apagoc, right? Apagoc. So we'll spell Apagoc, A-P-A-G-O-K, Apagoc. And um, it's not even a word, right? So I open my, deli, my dessert deli and I'm killing it with Apagoc. And then you drive by, you eat my stuff, you're like, this is good. So once again, you do what you do, Ray. First, you ripped off the Panda Express, then McDonald's. Now you rip off, off Apagot. And I then haven't I find had an out original idea yet, this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so then I find out about Apagot, and people are saying, well, wow, there can only be one Apagot. It must be the same. I mean, who would ever name Apagot for a dessert deli? it's going to be really easy to, for me to prove infringement because it's a really strong mark. It's right. highly distinctive. It's inherently distinctive. But what if instead I named my dessert deli apple pie, right? Now we're starting to get closer to the line where it's just a descriptive term. It's not descriptive because a store called apple pie, you wouldn't immediately know it's a dessert deli. You might think they're selling apple pie, but not a whole dessert deli. So maybe it's not really descriptive, but more suggestive of what I do. But now it's going to be a lot harder for me to prove my case of infringement because the word's not as inherently distinctive, right? So the first thing you do is you look at the strength of the mark. And actually, there's like technically four categories, but let's call it five categories of trademark distinctiveness. The, the most powerful one is called fanciful, okay? I know that doesn't sound like a powerful name, but it's fanciful. Um, and those are just like made up names. They don't have anything to do with anything. Apagoc is fanciful. Um, at one time, Kodak, I think, was considered fanciful. It was just like, I think the founder of Kodak liked the letter K. So he just made up a word with a bunch of Ks. 
that would be fanciful, right? That's the strongest category of mark because it has nothing to do with anything. And if you see another apagoc out there for dessert deli, they probably copied me. The next layer of trademark significance strength is called arbitrary, okay? Arbitrary is still pretty strong. And that basically means you took an arbitrary term and applied it to your product. A great example of that is Apple, right? For Apple computers. Yeah. Apple for a computer company. It's totally arbitrary. Um, so that is still a very strong mark. You know, that's, it's got a lot of inherent distinctiveness. So the next layer, the third layer, now we're starting to get weaker and we call it suggestive, right? Now, apple pie for a dessert deli might be considered suggestive. And basically suggestive means that if you told, and this is just my interpretation of what it means. I'm sure there are going to be trademark experts out there cringing over this, but basically it's- Ellen Simpson, if, if you're watching, <laughs> forgive us. If Ellen Simpson is watching, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so anyway, if, if I have a name, like, and it takes me a few guesses to figure out, if you tell me, hey, I'm opening a business, I'm calling it apple pie. And you say, oh, it's a um, dessert deli. You know, that would be, not be suggestive. <laughs> that would be descriptive, right? But right. If, if it's like, um, if it's like uh, let's see, copper tone. Copper tone. You know the tanning stuff? It's like oil for tanning. Uh, copper tone yeah. is probably suggestive. If you didn't know what copper tone was and I said, hey, I have a, a new right. company called Copper Tone, you'd be like, probably take you five or six guesses, yeah. right? That's yeah, probably yeah. suggestive. Now, that's pretty weak but it's still considered inherently distinctive. So you can still get trademark protection on a, on a suggestive mark. But we cross the line when we get to something called a descriptive mark, you know, like um, roof shingles, because I sell, I have a business where I make roof shingles, yeah. right? That yeah. would be descriptive. J&J roofing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Or if I have like, a, you know, there's one mark that I like, which might be considered descriptive, which is Roach Motel. Okay, that to me is on the line between suggestive and descriptive, but I think it goes over to descriptive if it were me, because what else could it be, right? What else right. would you do with roaches? You know, you want to get them in something so that they die, right? Sort of like a flea circus. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, right. exactly, exactly. You know, so, like, I don't know what that product would be. That, whatever that product is, it's descriptive. No, no, I'm saying generic. I meant to say generic. Who knows oh, what no. that is? Yeah, yeah. Maybe even arbitrary. Certainly not fanciful though. So anyway, the fifth category is really a tragic category. It's just not fair, okay? And that is generic. Generic marks have absolutely no trademark significance. You cannot get protection on a generic mark. And you know why they're tragic? Because we've talked about this. Why do you think it's just tragic to even have this category? Do you know? Well, I mean, no, not technically, but my gut would say, because uh, no one wants to be generic. Okay, well, here's the word. No, here's the problem with generic. Generic marks were marks that were so strong that they oh, actually right. yeah, yeah. I remember the now. category, right? Yes, I'll give you a few yes. examples. Escalator was a generic is now a generic mark. That used to be a trademark, right? Wow. Um, paper clips or um, peanut butter or... Um, wow, really? These were all yeah. at one point not generic? These were trademarks, right? These were, tra I mean, think about uh, it. Peanut, peanut butter, butter right? was a trademark? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Or a zipper. Well, that's, zipper, zipper that's got to be the headline to this video. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, peanut butter is it, a trademark. What I, about I it? Thought that was just, yeah, to me, that's like, uh, I don't know, like, like apple pie, you know? It's okay. like, it's a thing that exists. It's not a trademark. Ah. Ah, but remember, there was a time when apple pie wasn't a thing. At some point in life, in history, there were apples. Wait, there were apples and there were pie, but they weren't together, right? So somebody put them together, and who knows? I mean, I'm sure it was a long time ago before trademark laws were invented. But if they weren't invented, somebody might have said, hey, that could be something, maybe. I mean, it's probably descriptive. But anyway, the point is, you know, here's some good examples of ones that could be in trouble, like a PDF, you know, PDF. Oh, yeah. You know, what do you say? I want to create a PDF. Oh, you know what a good example of a, of a, a, a very strong mark that is always frightened of it becoming um, descriptive is inline skating because rollerblade mm. could be inline skating, right? I mean, it's actually inline skating, but the rollerblade is the brand. People always say, I want to go rollerblading. Or Velcro. What's that? Velcro. Velcro. You know why we know that? Yeah, because of that, that video. awesome video that guy created. Yeah, they've you know, got a Velcro. great video about it. Velcro created, a, they created an awesome video on that. Yeah, it's But it's actually, what is it called? It's like hook and loop. It's hook and loop, yeah. Right. The I call it grippy grass now. What's that? I call it, now I call it, after that video, I call it grippy grass. Yeah, grippy grass. I just think that's hilarious. But anyway, grippy grass or hook and loop, there's a trademark called Velcro, and they're really worried about it becoming generic because that's the tragedy of it. You did such a great job of building like the world's greatest brand, and bam, people use it so much as a verb or a noun that it becomes generic. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I am hearing an echo again, weirdly. It just went away. Okay, maybe it's the way you're moving. As long as it's not being recorded, and then everyone's okay. just going to tune out, our, our right, millions so, of listeners. So those are the, the, the trademark, the, the, uh, you know, the, the first thing you look at. So let's jump to the second thing. How related are the products, right? If they're totally unrelated, Ford for cars, Ford for gumballs, you know, no one's going to think Ford is now in the gumball business. But if they're related products, now we create more chance of likelihood of confusion, right? Mm -hmm. Then the other one is similarity of the marks. And remember, marks can be words, they can be logos, they can be, they can be colors, they can be you know, images. I mean, they can arguably be, be scents, they could be um, shapes of products. But anyway, how similar are they? You know, how similar are these? Because again, that would go into confusion, right? Um, and then evidence of actual confusion in the marketplace, you know? Everybody's confused for some reason. We don't know why, but they're always confused. But, um, and then it's marketing channels used. Do we sell it in the same channel? It's likelihood, degree of uh, purchaser care. Like, are people going to make a quick decision? Like, I'm buying toenail clippers, right? I'm not going to pay close attention. And if I see a brand I like, I'm just going to buy it. But if I'm selling nuclear reactors, I'm probably going to investigate a lot more and not be tricked by a, by a knockoff right. brand, right? right. And then, the, um, then there's a couple other ones that are not worth talking about. One is intent of the defendant in selecting the mark. Were they trying to copy? And the other is likelihood that if the products aren't similar, you might go into that marketplace. Like, I don't make toenail clippers, but I make hairbrushes. Now, I wouldn't probably get into that business, but you might. So um, would I switch into that new product line? So anyway, the big things, though, are strength of the mark, relatedness of the product and similarity of the marks. So in this case, we have Panda Express and Panda Libre. 
And right. so they're similar, right? Now, first of all, let's look at the mark of panda. Is it fanciful? No, because it's a real word, right? It's in the dictionary. So, but is it arbitrary? Is it arbitrary? Is panda an arbitrary mark for Chinese restaurants? No. Oh, you think it's what? It's not arbitrary. You yeah, think it's uh, like just just panda by itself? Yeah, it's arbitrary, right? I mean, it's like Apple for computers. Just panda for Asian food, though. Yeah. Okay. It's, maybe it's well, not because panda is an Asian. You know, it, could it could be suggestive. The yeah. Exactly. Panda, yeah. Right? Yeah. I wouldn't think food necessarily. If it weren't for Panda Express, right? I, right. Of if course. That didn't exist. I would. I wouldn't think. Oh, that's food. But I would. But you start might guess it. Asian. You might guess it in five or six guesses. Maybe. Ray, I have a new store and it's called Panda. Guess what I do? Sell pandas. Nope, not that. Uh, yeah, exactly. You might have all, all black clothing, black and white. It's either black right. or it's white. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's right. So, so, but you might eventually get to it. So maybe it's not arbitrary. Maybe it's suggestive. It's certainly not descriptive, which means that you do get trademark significance, which means we pass the first test. If it's descriptive, we stop talking about it. If it's generic, we stop talking about it. it the case is over. There is one way that you can make a descriptive mark. Um, give it protection, and that is if you use it so long and get so much market penetration, it can go into this thing called the secondary register, and you can get protection. But let's ignore that for the moment. So Panda, let's say it's a suggestive mark. It's not super strong, but it's not. It is inherently distinctive. It, it's the lowest category of inherent distinctiveness, but it's still inherently distinctive, right? So they can get trademark protection, and they've been around since like 1983, I think. So. You know, the question is, um, are they infringing? You know, it comes down to really regular people looking at those factors and making a decision. What do you think? If you walked into a pet, oh, by the way, maybe you can put up on this podcast like we did the one time, you could put up the two logos so that people oh, yeah. can yeah, yeah. I'm gonna definitely have side that. by side. Ooh, Absolutely, yeah. because then people could say, because there's also the look and feel of it, right? I mean, yeah. what if the logos are totally different? That well, would help. Yeah. That would help what I was gonna say. Yeah, so here's the differences. Number one, it's not the exact same food. One is Asian Mexican and one is just Asian. Two, the words aren't exactly the same. One's Panda Express and one's Panda Libra, right? Three, the, um, the logos might be very different, okay? So these are all things that weigh into it to determine whether we have likelihood of confusion. So essentially that's what they're facing right now, which is they're in a world of hurt. But anyway, so if this, if, if this, these two, what were their names again? Nicole and Paul? Paul and Nicole. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. It, it, like, what would you say to them if they were, if they came into, you know, the, 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 the Colson law group office yeah. and said, we want to start a, 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 a an a, a Asian Mex, uh, what do they call it? Asian Mex. Yeah. Yeah. Asian, Asian Mex, a Mex yeah. Asian restaurant, right? But, yeah. yeah. What, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's say that, I think it's, I'm just looking, that it's Nicole and Paul. Nicole and Paul walk into my office. <clears throat> it depends upon when they walk in and how much money they have. Because there's eight factors, right? There's eight factors in, in assessing trademark infringement. But there's really a big factor that we haven't talked about. And that is the X factor. How much money do you have, right? Because ultimately, that matters. So yeah. they come into my office and they say, Hey, Tom, we got a great idea. We're going to start an Asian Mexican restaurant and we're going to call it Panda Libra. 
and I'm sitting there eating my Panda Express Chinese food that I just took out, right? And you spit out my chopsticks. And you're like, what? Yeah, right, right. How dare you? So, so what I would say to them is, first of all, let's say it wasn't as obvious as that. Let's say that I didn't know their industry and it wasn't so public. First thing I would say is, let's do a search. Let's figure out if someone's already using Panda or Libra or Panda Libra in a, in a Chinese restaurant. And I would quickly find Panda Express, right? I mean, imagine I never heard of them. I would Google. find it very quickly. I just do a Google search. And, I'd, and that's the best thing to do, by the way. If you want to start your own business and you want a name, before you even go to your attorney, do a Google search. Search the, the, search the you know what out of it. Can I, I'm you, sorry. Can we just point out the irony here? That we're using Google oh, as yes, a verb. Yes, yes, exactly. Ray, exactly. That's I think what about that all the time. Google is at risk, right? Because yeah. I just said, just do it or Google it, right? Yeah. That, you shouldn't say I that. Didn't right? even, I didn't even form a complete sentence. All I said was Google. Exactly. I know. Look, I'm slapping myself on the wrist. Do an internet search. Don't Google it. Do an internet search. Because Google has done such a great job of penetrating the marketplace and becoming the name in the internet search yeah. business, yeah, yeah. That their risk of becoming. I just say rich. now. I just say consult the Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. This way okay, you're totally okay. safe. Yeah. So anyway, so first thing I do is search it. We'd find Panda Express, and I would say to them because it sounds like P Paul and Nicole are not that wealthy, and I only say that because as I quote here. Going through this whole ordeal, the lawsuit will bankrupt us, okay? So if they had big financial backing, I'm guessing that they wouldn't be saying such a thing. They'd be more bold and provocative about this. So I would say, get a new name. If they came to me before all this started. Because why risk it? Why get into a fight when you know there's, you don't have to? All you have to do is change your name. There's no emotional commitment yet to Panda Libra. Call it, um, I think the, the national bird for, for China is the crane. Call it crane Libra, you know? And, oh, let's search that first. So anyway, we search crane Libra and we're like, great, there is no uh, crane Libra for a Chinese restaurant, so let's do it, okay? But why would you risk it when you're a brand new startup and you know that Panda Express, a big, giant, deeply penetrated company out there is hanging out there with the trademark Panda Express. I'd say, don't do it. Get something else. Now, what if you're like a billionaire and you're, and you're saying, I don't care. Look, if I have any chance, do I have any chance? Because I love the name Panda Libra. I can't live another day if I don't have a restaurant called Panda Libra. I'd be like, okay, we could, it's a fight. You know, we could have a fight over this because again, they're not identical marks. One's Panda Express, one's Panda Libra. They're not identical product lines. One's Chinese, one's Chinese Asian. I mean, Chinese Max. You know, logos are very different. It's a fight. And I'd be willing to have that fight if you're rich enough and you're just crazy about this. But if you're not a billionaire, I'd say get a new name. Now, let's say though that they walk into my office after they get sued, okay? Now it's a different situation because it's too late. You're already into, she said, what'd she say? A few hundred By the way, this is dollars. not legal advice, uh, Paul and Nicole. Yeah, this is not legal not advice. Not legal right. advice. Right, right. I'm a lawyer, but you're not paying me. You haven't engaged me. So whatever I say, you don't own. I own it. So anyway, um, I'd say, first of all, how much money do you have? Because, I mean, even doing a real estate closing is like a thousand bucks, right? 
you want to be in a trademark infringement action against Panda Express, this thing is going to quickly get into the tens of thousands of dollars, right? It's going to exceed, if you go through trial on this, you're going to be at a half a million dollars. So, you know, you got to go through responding to the, every little thing, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I mean, even in Buffalo, New York, in my firm, our lawyers are $350 an hour. Go to a firm in New York City. Go to a firm in San Francisco. They're six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars an hour, maybe a thousand dollars an hour. There might be lawyers laughing that I'm saying they're only nine hundred dollars an hour, but the point is, it's expensive, and it takes time, and you're going to quickly spend yourself to death. So the first question I'd have is, how much money do you have? Because you're being sued right now. And oh, by the way, the Panda Express isn't just telling them to to stop. I'm just skimming the article here. It's telling them that they want royalties for all their sales so far. So there's, they're in a fight now. So they can't, arguably, they can't just walk away. It's not like they got a cease and desist letter saying stop or else. Then if they came to me with the cease and desist letter that said stop or else, I'd say, how much money do you have? And they'd say, we don't have any money. And I'd say, stop. If you don't have any money, stop. Because you're going to try to hire a lawyer, you're going to spend everything you've got defending yourself, and you might not win. But yeah. it's not a cease and desist letter. You've already started in the business. It's not a cease and desist letter. It is a lawsuit. You are being sued. You can't just walk away now. You have to, you have to do something. So, my, so let's say that they answer the question I suspect they'd say, which is, we have a little bit of money, but not a lot of money. Okay, we got to figure out a way out of this as cheaply as we can. We need to negotiate a settlement here. You know, we need to get out with as little money out of pocket as possible. And maybe they would let us walk away. If we promised to shut our doors and walk away, they'd probably let us do that because it's a big company. You don't have a lot to take. They don't want to spend money on lawyers either. But if you provoke them, they probably will. So they'll probably let you walk away. Now, if you have a lot sunk into this, you have millions into this, then I would say, maybe we fight. Because again, I would take this fight. I mean, the odds are against us probably, but it's not like 100-0, right? I mean, maybe it's 75-25. Maybe it's you know, maybe with some really skillful litigating, we can get our odds up to 70-30. So, um, you know, maybe we fight. But the point is, it all depends on when you're coming. But the original thing you do to stay out of this, is make sure that you do a freedom to operate search before you even get going. Search the world of trademark registrations first. Well, actually, I mean, search on the internet. Don't Google it. Search on the internet. I almost did it again. First, see what, because remember, there's registered trademarks. There's also common law trademarks, and common law trademark holders have rights. So you want to find out if there's any common law trademarks and any registered trademarks. And if you haven't done anything yet, you're not in business. If you find one, just get something else, get something better. So yeah. anyway, that would be my advice. I'm looking forward to seeing how that works itself out. Yeah, this is a very interesting story to follow. The thing that's so fascinating about this is, well, I mean, at, at a, like a much higher level, just the raw power that intellectual property has. I'm, I'm, never, I'm never not blown away in a story like this by just how much IP impacts business decisions. And uh, in, in this case in particular, it's just, it's, it's fascinating how, um, just with some of the hypotheticals that you set up, like what would you say 
to someone like this couple if they walked into your office um, that how much money do you have is the question that you ask first because um, the truth is is that even if you are close to infringing and and we've had this discussion too even about patents um, and not just trademarks that in some cases it it might be worth entering into the business that way because Look at what we both said at the very beginning of this podcast. I've never had Panda Express, but I might go get some this weekend, right? I mean, right. Uh, 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 if you if you were if you were uh, Paul and Nicole it, before you started this business and you did have a lot of money, you might do this anyway, knowing that they're going to sue you and knowing that it's going to end up plastered all over the news and knowing that you might lose and end up having to pay the royalties, but you're making more money now having gone through the controversy, even after the loss of having to lose in court to them or pay out a settlement than you would have if you would have named your restaurant, I don't know. Abagoc. You know, yeah. Abagoc. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so, so just that dynamic of the yeah, whole decision-making process is fascinating. To me. Yeah. It's ultimately a business decision. Everything comes down to business. Intellectual property is nothing without business. If it does not advance your business goals, there's no reason to pursue it. Everything is about what's the best for your business. And you're right. I mean, you don't want to infringe intentionally if you can help it. But you might look at this case if you're Paul and Nicole and say, I'm highly committed to this. I have a lot of money. And I don't think it's, I, I want to put my, my bet on this. I, want to, I think I could win. And like I said, it might be 75-25. I mean, you might have a shot. It might be 80-20. might be 85-15. I don't know because I haven't thought more about it than 15, 20 minutes since we've been talking. But you have to decide what your odds are and then make a business decision. So one more question. And I want to talk about some cookies, more food. Um, yes. So, so how much worse does it get in terms of potential damages if – you're found to be willfully infringing. Because my suggestion a minute ago was like, yeah, it's, maybe it is close, you know, we'll do it anyway. And if we do get sued, at least we'll get press, right? So like, obviously that's not like an ethical <laughs> choice to make, but, right, right. Um, but, but if that is your choice, then in that, or, or let's just say, let's just say I decide to start the business um, with the intention from the beginning of copying Panda Express, right? right so right. What, 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 does that, what does that end up, what does yeah, it that's, mean? That's a great question. While you were asking, I was thinking about that and I was wishing I knew the answer. And here's the thing, <clears throat> excuse me, if it was a patent infringement case, and I've done a lot more work with patent infringement than trademark infringement, there's a thing called willfulness in patent infringement. If you willfully infringe a patent, your damages at the end, after it's all determined what the number is, like you know whatever they base it on, the royalties, the, the loss of revenues to the owner of the patent, whatever it's based upon, at the end of it all, you triple those damages because wow. of willfulness. Right, so if it's, you, know, you might triple 5 million or 10 million, you triple it because of willfulness, because you knew and you did it anyway. I don't know what it is with trademark infringement because it's been a long time since I litigated a trademark action, but, I'll, I'm almost certain that if there's not a statutory thing like tripling damages, like in patent cases, there is something that makes it even worse for you 
if you did it intentionally. Oh, yeah. I would, there has to be. Yeah. We'll have to get Ellen on the show sometime. Yes. In fact, if Ellen's watching, Ellen, call in. See, we're a live show, Ellen. You, you heard <laughs> the phone that 1-800 number. number on call there. right in, Ellen. <laughs> oh, that's great. But All right. So let's go on to our, yeah, yeah, our last topic. And this was a, a, a fun one that came across my desk this week about the, the Hilton, uh, the cookies that you get when you go and stay at a Hilton. And um, I know you're a Hilton Rewards member, and um, and so you probably have had these cookies plenty of times. And I actually haven't had one before, but apparently these cookies are so good that people, you know, they are like looking forward to the cookie when they travel. Right. So I'm um, one of those guys. And 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 they, and people have been. There's tons of um, recipes online of of uh, that are like in it, the like how to make the Hilton cookie, but it's not like the official recipe. Right. Um, and that's how much people like this, that there's several different copycat imitation recipes out there and people fight over which one is the closest. Right. And right yeah. So apparently, um, I, don't, I think it was just the last couple of weeks, they Hilton put out the official recipe. I think uh, in response to the, you know, the coronavirus situation, they wanted people to be able to make these cookies at home and enjoy them with their families. So I thought this was really interesting. I wanted to know what your comments on it were. Yeah. So one thing I'd say is, first of all, trademarks, the Hilton trademark is a great example of some, a company that's built great brand recognition. I stay at Hilton's all the time because I feel comfortable there. Wherever I am in the world, if I go into a Hilton, I feel like I'm getting the same experience, right? It gives me a feeling of comfort. And that's what trademarks are intended to do consistent quality. Whether you're biting into a donut, whether you're walking into a restaurant or staying at a hotel, trademarks, you want to have consistent quality, which is why you don't want people knocking you off and coming up with, so I walk into a Hilton one day and it's terrible. I'm like, wow, what happened to Hilton's? I'm depending upon that consistent quality. So anyway, that's yeah. a trademark issue, but now let's go to their cookie. And yes, I love those cookies. Every time I go into a Hilton, I look forward, because I'm a Hilton Honors member, I'm a gold member, I mean, maybe now that I'm not flying that much, I won't be a gold member for long, but because I have a gold uh, card for it. But anyway, um, the cookie recipe reminds me of the, the, the Coca-Cola recipe. And the reason I say that is Coca-Cola came out with the recipe in like 1890 or something. And there have been a ton of companies trying to knock it off. But because it's a trade secret, no one knows exactly what it is other than the select people at Coca-Cola that have been given the authority to have access to it. So even though there's been a ton of people trying to knock it off, no one's been able to get it exact, right? Because it's been a trade secreted recipe. And that's what it sounded like when you were describing the double, the uh, double tree uh, cookies, right? Yeah. The Hilton cookies. They, um, people try to knock it off, right? They try to copy the recipe. There's even like a thing going around the internet about it. It's probably been kept as a trade secret by Hilton. And now that they've let it out, they've kind of let out their trade secret. And I don't know what that'll do to it, but here's the good thing. Whenever you walk into a Hilton, you still get the cookie. So even if a ton of other people can do it, when I'm walking into my hotel room, I'm not going out to the grocery store. So there's, they're always going to dominate my pillow, right? My, my bed space, that's where the cookie's going to be. So even if they yeah. give out the trade secret, I think all it does is spread their brand, you know? Because sure. then even more people look forward to going in and getting the cookie. So I think this is a win for them, even if yeah, they gave well, up the trade secret. 
my next business trip, I'm going to, you know, I'll stay at a Hilton just so I can try these cookies. <laughs> so we got to do Panda Express and a Hilton cookie. Yeah, sounds like a trip. Well, did you just make a trip out of it for that, for research, for the podcast? Right, that's right, that's right. All right, well, thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP. If you enjoyed it, share it with your friends and your family, your colleagues, and uh, like, comment, subscribe.